0: And here we were in a tire shop parking lot talking about him getting an apartment.
1: It's hard to talk about, even right now. We were in such a bad place and I was in such a bad place. Uh, Just walking through a really, both of us felt completely alone. Hey, guys, you're listening to The Glass House, hosted by LifeWay. We are Ben and Lindley Mandrell, and we have conversations with leaders who have experienced the stress of ministry and have sensed a spotlight on their personal lives. We want to encourage ministry families and provide a glimpse inside their glass house.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Glass House. I'm Angie Elkins, producer of the show, and I'm here with Ben and Lindley Mandrell, and I'm excited for them to share their story with you. So Ben, tell us a little bit about why you decided to start a podcast and all about The Glass House. What's your hope?
1: Lindley and I were walking one day, and we were talking about how many pastors we knew and their wives that were struggling. And on the surface, everything looked great, but underneath there were issues. And Lindley just made the statement. She's like, you know, we live in this glass house in ministry, and it just It struck both of us that there's a lot of folks out there in the front lines of ministry that they feel like they're in a vulnerable spot because they're suffering, they're struggling, they're wounded, they're broken, and yet they can't be fully transparent about that because what if somebody finds out? So we thought, what would it be like to start hosting some conversations where we could normalize the journey and maybe give some people some hope that they're not alone in whatever struggle they're walking through?
2: Yeah, that's good. This conversation will not be typical of the Glass House. In fact, moving forward, you guys are doing the interviewing uh, with some couples that you know and have met or maybe not even met yet who've dealt with issues in uh, ministry. So, Lindley, what are your hopes for this? What are you hoping that people will hear as they listen to you?
0: Yeah, I think my hopes in it is that I have a real heart for the underrepresented, and I think our Culture these days with social media, what they do is focus on what people are really successful at. And, you know, I think we all have this insecurity because everyone is either really talented in designing or the way they dress or all these things. And so for me, I mean, in my heart to represent the underrepresented, what about the people who are struggling with fear and loneliness and shame and guilt and all these emotions that God gives us? But we're told, you know, well, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, look, there's, that's not right, you know. Don't live. You can't trust your feelings and your emotions. You know, that's just what we're told. So for me, the hope in this podcast is just that those people who are struggling with some of these emotions would feel like, oh, I'm being represented in one of these podcasts.
2: That's good. I um I love your willingness to be transparent because I think when uh, other pastors hear you and, and other pastors' wives hear mm-hmm. what you've been through. And that you're willing to say, hey, I've been there, Mm -hmm. and um, I know you're there, too. I think people are really going to be ministered to through this. So I'd kind of like to start with where it started, and then we'll end up with how it's going, right? Okay, so tell me kind of about how you guys met and fell in love.
1: Are you wanting me to tell the story?
0: Sure, go
1: ahead. We met at Cannon Cut Camps. We were on summer staff together. I was there because I had a fun personality. She was there because she was athletic. She was teaching tennis Mm -hmm. and uh, was doing a great job with that, and I was in charge of the skits. And uh, we met and fell in love, and a year later, to the uh, the day of our first date, we were married. That's
2: great. Did you know you were going to be a pastor, Ben, when you guys got married?
1: Definitely snuck that in the back door. He didn't know that. I I I didn't fully understand it myself. I knew that I loved the Bible, that I loved teaching Scripture, and I had a feeling that I would do something in ministry, but uh, Lindley thought maybe she was marrying a school teacher or she thought she was marrying uh, maybe a campus ministry director on campus, discipling college students. But the thought of being a pastor of a local church was the farthest thing from my mind and definitely from yours.
0: Well, not completely. I wasn't surprised because when we were at Kennecuck, he would lead what they called Counselor Chapel. And so we could get up before the kids and go hear someone speak. And he would do that. And it was in those moments that I was attracted to him.
1: We are polar opposites in so many ways. And like all marriages, those are the things that attract you in the beginning. But then when the honeymoon wears off, those are the issues you have to manage and work through. And uh, we've been very open about that. And we hope it's helpful to people to understand that marriage does take work. It takes sacrifice. And it takes uh, an intentional investment.
2: How did you learn of or when did you feel the call, I guess, to be a senior pastor? Like, when did you know, oh, this is this is what's happening?
1: When we first got married, I was serving part time in a local church and I was asked to take on the Sunday night service. The pastor had gotten weary of that service, and I think he was looking for a young guy to take it on. And I was learning how to be a preacher at seminary. And knew that I wanted to communicate truth in some way, but wasn't sure where. Well, as I took over that Sunday night service, it was one of those moments in your life where fire just started to fall from heaven. And that service began as a little scattering of people to something that began to grow larger and larger and larger. And it was clearly meeting a huge need in the life of the church. And for the first time, I thought, oh, my goodness, I am a preacher. And Lindley saw that, celebrated that, and encouraged me to pursue it. And that's when we knew we were likely headed towards some kind of public ministry Right. Embraced ourselves for it.
2: How do you feel about that, Lindley, when you're like, oh, pastor's wife?
0: I was completely naive to it. I mean, I didn't know. And so most people in pastoring have a story of they started in a little tiny church and um, kind of worked their way up. And I don't mean that in a in a tacky way, like worked their way up. But just, you know, they the church grew a little you bit. You kind
1: of grow with the church as you grow older. We were thrown into
0: it. Yes. Yeah, so we were... I was 25 and he was 29 when they approached him about doing this. I had just had, I had one, we had two children that were babies and then we had two children in the next literally 12 months. And so honestly, I was so busy with the kids that I just didn't even have any category for what that meant. And I actually think that probably saved me because I didn't have fear because I didn't know what what, what was going to happen. And But honestly, that church was so good to us. I mean, really, really good to us and helped us a ton. Lots of sweet relationships came out of that church. So it was good. Is that Inglewood?
1: Inglewood in Jackson, Tennessee.
2: So you started there as college minister. I did. And then became the senior pastor.
1: Yes. And I was first the Sunday night preacher, which I say was still the best job I've ever had because you could speak boldly without ever having to make a bold decision. (laughs) And so I was just a teacher and I wasn't responsible for anything. The buck didn't stop with me. But then when they asked me to transition into the senior pastor role, that's when we really began to feel the pressure of pastoral ministry, the spotlight, the glass house. And even the senior pastor was there. He sat us down and warned us, hey, this is going to be lonely at times. We did not believe him. I remember us walking out of that session and thinking, well, that's his experience. We'll be different. Right. And we weren't different.
2: Yeah. I mean, that feels like a huge learning curve to me. Like you go from college pastor, Sunday night pastor. To being the senior pastor, having never done that before. And I, I know Inglewood's not a tiny
1: church. It's right. not a starter church. Right. No. It was a it was a fairly large church. And for us to be thrust into the leadership role meant that all of a sudden people were watching uh, what cars we were buying and who we were hanging out on the weekend and who were our friends and what decisions were we making and what do they feel about that. And that was an adjustment for us to realize that everybody's watching everything we're doing mm-hmm. and we we have to be careful. Mm. And that there's fear in that. Mm -hmm.
2: So what were those years like? Kind of talk me through the evolution of that uh, time as your role changed, but also in ministry, the stresses and maybe the pressures you began to recognize.
1: Our 20s and 30s were marked by busyness. Of course, we had four kids in four years, and we went from no church to a church of 2,000 plus on the weekend. And it was just so busy. As I think about our 20s and early 30s, we didn't have a lot of time to reflect, contemplate, question the meaning of life. Like we're just trying to get the kids out of diapers.
0: Right. That's what when I say naive, I think it was a kind of a blissful ignorance. I mean, I just didn't know. And so we just went into it and thought, well, this will be great. I mean, this will be really fun. And, um, you know, there was a funny story right before he became pastor. There was an elderly lady meeting with the current pastor and he, i remember this he said he came in there she did not know he was there and she was just saying you can't possibly be giving this church to a 29 year old man i mean he is too young that is crazy i mean was really letting the the current pastor at that time have it and he came home and told me and even then we were like i mean 29 that's old like he's got tons of life experience like what's you know what what is she talking about of course now you know in our 40s we're like whoa 29 is really is really young, but we just didn't we did we were naive. We just thought it was funny.
1: Alan Jackson's got that song Remember When any the lyric is Remember When thirty seems so old. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think obviously we're still young in that we're in our early forties, but uh if we'd known then what we know now, we probably would have experienced it a little different.
2: Mm. So how many years were you at Inglewood altogether?
1: We're there twelve.
2: Okay, and then you decided to move to Colorado and plant a church. I'd love to kind of hear the story of how you came to recognize that's what we want to do. We're ready to transition out of this role. And um, maybe even some markers that led you to the place that you were willing to go.
1: I think it was a perfect storm. I think there were a lot of things going on at once. I think there were some things going on with you. You were beginning to feel a desire for something Mm -hmm. different. Sure. Um, and I'll let you speak to that and then I'll talk about my part.
0: Well there was two things for me. One was the children at that time they were um, like preschool, kindergarten first and third grade when we began talking about this and what we got to was just the conversation of is Jackson Tennessee where we want to raise our children and it's a great town there's nothing to there's nothing wrong with that. We just said you know is this the long-term goal for us like because it gets harder to move kids as they get older Of course, we didn't know then that we'd, we'd' be moving them several times, but um, <laughs> but that was just our world at that time. And so, for us, it was the conversation of now's the time if we ever want to do something different. And then also the to
1: thing, start something together was it learning to? Yes,
0: us. and the reason starting something together is that because in our ch- in an established church, it is hard for the pastor's wife to come in and find her place. I mm. found that with a lot of pastors' wives I've met. And there are expectations and there are different expectations at every church. And so there's no, you can't make a blanket statement that at every church, the pastor's wife has to do blank.
1: It's really hard, I think, for a new pastor's wife to break in when there's already people who do that here. Mm -hmm. So whatever she has a passion for, there's probably already somebody at the church that does that there. And so when you walk into an established environment, you have to be careful and handle delicately. If you have a passion for it, someone else has a passion for it, it could be a threat. So in a church planning environment, that's just not there because there's nothing built. There are no people associated with any particular program, and so it's a a blank slate.
0: I think when you look back at time, though, and we notice this as the older you get, you look back and see what God was doing. So even in that time, there was a lady who was the preschool director at Inglewood, and she became one of my closest friends. And so I would stay with her on Sunday mornings and kind of shadow what she was doing and then also help check in kids and all that stuff. Well, I had no idea that being a director of kids ministry was down the road for me at, in Colorado. I mean, we didn't move to Colorado thinking that would be my role, but it's just interesting how God was really using that time to train me as in how to respond to parents when they have questions, how to do things within a kids ministry um, in, in, a, in a really godly way. Mm-hmm.
1: I think one of the things that's unique about our story is we've never been called away from anything. We were not called away from Inglewood we loved the church, loved the people even now we're in close contact we'd love to revisit mm-hmm. and we weren't called away from our church plant in Denver we were called to lifeway and so in both scenarios where we were uh, where we left the place we left with deep sadness because things were going really well and we were enjoying relationships and yet God disrupted like he so often does in our lives and says no I'm gonna send you on this journey uh, and that's been the part that's been hard to swallow at times.
2: When you guys decided to go, how did you make that decision? Were you both involved? Did Ben say, here's what I think we should do? And Lindley, you were like, yes, sir.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you nope. met Lindley. It, it has always been with us that we've made those huge decisions together.
0: We've made them together, yes. But I do believe in submission to you. And so where we got to the point of is we had a list a mile long of pros and cons. I mean, they were just equal. And I got to a point to where I said, "We we've hashed this out. We've talked about it. You, at this point as leader, are going to have to make a decision. And whatever that decision is, I'm going to go with you. You've heard my opinion now. I've shared it. You know. And so it was. It was a. You know. I did find my my role as his wife is to follow him. He did allow me to speak into it. And so that was the thing. That was the that was the sweet bond of it.
1: And it's pressure, I think, for the leader because you you are thankful for that level of trust, but what if you mess it up? What if you mishear God? What if you take the family down the road of hardship? Uh, But that's a a pressure that we all feel in leadership about our decisions.
2: Mm -hmm. Ben, I've heard you talk about the treadmill, how you guys were just on the treadmill of ministry, and every Sunday, you know, Sunday keeps coming. It never stops. And so it sounds like when you became church planters and then you came on Staff Lindley, y'all just turned that treadmill up. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we did, and there were hard and hurtful things that happened along the way that we didn't fully process, They wounds that never really healed. Mm. You know, the nepotism thing is a real tension that you battle when you're in ministry together, you're on staff together, because you recognize there have been abuses of that. Mm. And there are moments and stories that you've heard where uh, someone was uh, blind, blindly loyal. Mm. And so Lindley and I have always tried to be sensitive to that, that we wouldn't want to have a blind loyalty but at the same time, you know, she's my wife. We're in a staff meeting. Uh, someone disagrees with her. What do I do? Mm. Uh, and I would often try to step in and fix a situation where there were conflict, and it was her battle to fight. And that mm. it creates this weird tension. But it it was worth it for us because it was so enjoyable to work together. But there were challenges.
2: The idea of it being worth it is important to me, you know. And I think that um, it's very interesting too to know that you're willing to. I don't know, just even submit yourselves to other kinds of accountability or whatever because so you could both serve the church the way that you'd always hoped you could. Um, I love that. And I know um, you loved it in Colorado. You loved it at Storyline. And because you stayed on that treadmill for so long, when you moved to Lifeway, some things came to light. And before we talk about that move, I'd like to hear about the transition and just I can imagine that was a hard, hard decision, probably the hardest so far in your ministry.
0: I think what was really hard for me, you know, in talking about we have always been called to something and not away. And so when we were processing this call to LifeWay, um, you know, we I remember this night we were on vacation because we were celebrating some good things that had happened at Storyline. And we were processing this, and I instantly felt like I'm kind of in a lose-lose situation because there are very few times when a man like Ben would get this opportunity to come serve in this capacity at Lifeway, And so what an honor. That's a really great thing. So if I say no, every hard thing that happens at Storyline from here on out, he could be resentful to me for that because he had this chance and he, you know, wasn't able to take it because I held him back. Um... But if we left, it mean, meant giving up all that we loved at that time. And so, you know, it just was really hard because I just, you know, I just had to trust God because I didn't understand it. I mean, you know, it was one of those, I don't understand why you're taking this away. I do now. I mean, I understand more now. Um, but I just, at the time, was really, really in shock and moved here in shock. Like, it took me months and months. But he moved here and jumped Full speed ahead, mm-hmm. just immediately.
2: Yeah. What was your reaction, Ben, when you guys, when you knew you were coming to life, What were you excited?
1: There was excitement, you know, a new assignment, a new team, a new task. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, like a deep level of grief about, I've, I still love all these people at Storyline. I'm not ready to leave. But at the same time, feeling like God has called us to a new task. So it's such a, it was a bittersweet thing for me. But
0: was as, it at that time. It was, you didn't greet that. It was, that until it was about more a year exciting later. at yes.
1: first for me because I immediately began to feel the pressure of leading Lifeway through what I knew was going to be a very difficult season of transformation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had already done the church planning thing. So, you know, you don't do church planning because the statistics are encouraging.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Most church plants don't make it. So we went in knowing this was going to be hard. So I thought, okay, this will be another hard thing. We'll grow together, we'll learn a lot from it. But I didn't, I was not prepared for the toll it would take on our relationship because it's so radically different leading a corporate structure than it is leading, leading a local church.
2: So tell me about that adjustment. You got here, uh, hit the ground running, right? And, um, you weren't on the Sunday to Sunday treadmill. You were in a different kind of treadmill, but because you didn't have Sunday coming every week, I've heard you guys say we stopped and we saw some things we hadn't seen before. When did you first notice?
0: Well, let's clarify. We did not stop until about a year in. Okay. And we noticed that when we were having such a bad argument in the vehicle of our, in one of our vehicles, um, that got to the point where he said, do I need to get an apartment? Like we were so far gone in this. And it's amazing what can happen in one year because people who know Ben and I, like my dad had a good friend when we were first married that called us bliss and blissful. I mean, they just laughed because we just loved, I mean, loved deeply. And here we were in a tire shop parking lot, like talking about him getting an apartment.
1: It's hard to talk about even right now.
0: Mm.
1: We were in such a bad place Mm -hmm. and I was in such a bad place. Uh, Just walking through a really, both of us felt completely alone.
0: Mm -hmm. i was walking with a friend one day and i started crying like just out of nowhere and she said you know what's going on and i said well i just feel ridiculous like i you know we are so we live in williamson county tennessee and we have a nice house and we have all these blessings and i can't get happy and she just said you know do you need permission to cry and no one had ever said that to me and Mm -hmm. this was after such a year of grief that i just broke down like on the sidewalk of this sunset middle school Mm -hmm. and and she said, Hey, I have a counselor that you that I've been seeing with my husband and I I really think you should you guys should see him. Mm. And so so I came home and told him about that and he said, I don't think we're there yet. I said, Well okay, well then fast forward to the apartment comments. And so then we said, Okay, we've got to call this guy and mm. and, and move forward. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think I was in denial. Right. You know, I would call it a bad day or we're just having a bad week and it was a bad Year. Year. <laughs>
0: were you
2: resistant to counseling? At
1: Absolutely. All? Absolutely. Because I just thought, you know, we can figure this out.
0: Yeah. You We've know? always figured it out. We're, we're, we're be good fine. communicators. Yeah. You
1: know, we know the Bible. We'll figure this out. We couldn't figure it out. Mm. We needed help. And it wasn't until we started seeing a counselor, I think even for several months, mm-hmm. that we started to peel back the layer and see a lot of the wounds and the hurts that I'm sure people at Storyline saw. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, even staff members that we worked with, I'm sure they saw. T- some of the tension that was underlying in our marriage, but we never really put it all out on the table like and had to look at it and say, mm-hmm. okay, let's now start dealing with this mm-hmm. stuff. And none of it, if we said out loud, would be earth-shaking, earth-shaking to you. Like there hasn't been any, but, any adultery or mm-hmm. anything like that. It's just little resentments mm-hmm. over the years that have stacked up that caused us to slowly begin to drift apart to the point where we were so far apart that one day that it really did feel like an act of grace. Mm-hmm. Should we just, like, separate for a little while and get our heads back? Because we were hurting each other so much and so often that neither one of us wanted to continue to do that. And that was really out of love for one another.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's start. stop at that moment right there in the car. And then I know you've been processing through counseling. When you look back on your days, your early days at Inglewood, and then your transition to senior pastor, and then even the move out to storyline— Do you see things in hindsight that maybe you didn't see at the time? 100%. -hmm. Tell me about those.
1: I think a lot of our motive in ministry is self-centered. I think over the years, the affirmation and approval that I have received from being a pastor has met a deep need that I haven't gotten from my own family. Mm. Uh, Part of my story is my family uh, has been very disconnected for a very long time. And if they're listening, they would agree to that. And it's caused me to feel a little orphaned as a person. Just mm-hmm. I don't have a home. I don't have a family that I deeply connect with. So the church has always been that. Mm-hmm. Well, you take the church away and the the weekly praise from being an effective communicator. And all of a sudden, what's left of me? What am I good for?
0: There was a short, a quick story. When we were at Inglewood, the church moved into a new office space and this older lady came up to him and said this is incredible i bet your mother is so proud Mm. well he came home and just wept because he he was not able to say to that lady i don't think my mother even knows this is happening Mm. you know and and so but what that did was deepen this need for affirmation Mm. you know if i can keep people like this affirming me then it makes me feel good on the inside.
1: It was almost as long as the Lord kept me in the pulpit and the pastorate, I was not going to deal with the fact that my identity was not rooted in Christ. It was in performance and role. And so it was all to me, I think, a perfect storm that God had ordained for me to begin to ask some of those deeper questions of what is the emotional bedrock of my life.
2: Right. So you guys go into counseling, and I know I've heard you say Ben the first few weeks were just you were like, yeah, whatever, we got this. How do I
0: how do I fix this? Well, I, I came. Let's say, go ahead and tell what you were really thinking. There's well, a layer I, below that. I
1: confess this now, but I I was 100 percent convinced that we were going because Lindley had gone crazy.
0: <laughs> oh really? I mean,
1: I yeah, that's, really, like in you sincerity. Really did. I thought she's kind of lost her mind, and she needs someone besides me to tell her that. Mm. And then a couple of sessions in, I realized that the counselor was really focusing a lot on me and asking me a lot of questions.
0: Which was really fun for me. And we were still really unhealthy. And I was like, it's amazing how much he's talking to you. You know, gosh, this is interesting.
1: And that's that blind spot that you don't see in your own self is that Mm -hmm. I was, I was, um, not being honest, and Lindley was being very honest, and he appreciated her level of honesty mm-hmm. and was concerned about my level of superficiality. He, he could
0: see through it. Yes. He would say, because he says it to us a lot, like, I'm not connecting with you. Like, I don't understand. You're you're talking all in your head and none of your heart, um, which is that really hard balance that we know in the Christian life of head and heart. But mm-hmm. we had learned at Storyline all the right answers, like all the right answers, all the things you should do, how a service should flow, how a kids' ministry program should happen, all these things. Like we had it really, and we were really pretty self-righteous about it. And we never really gave the Lord room to work in our hearts. And so we came here, and we had to deprogram ourselves from having the really the great answers but and just having to rely on the Lord.
1: I remember the first time he said, Ben, I, I feel lonely with you right now. Mm-hmm. No one had ever said that to me before. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, I just don't feel like I'm getting the real you. And I realized that Lindley was being very vulnerable. Uh, We've learned that vulnerability is when you give someone information they could use to hurt you. Mm. And Lindley was giving a lot of information that I could use to hurt her, but I was using scripture and pat answers and, you know, God's going to get the glory through all this kind of preacher talk instead of just being completely honest about the fact that I wasn't well, Mm. I wasn't doing well. I was struggling, and he, I think, really began to press me to be honest about how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really a big reason and around the motivation for even this podcast is it took somebody really penetrating me with some difficult questions before I was willing to deal with myself, mm-hmm. and I just wonder how many of me there are out there in pastoral ministry that are too busy ministering everybody else's problems, their struggles, their wounds, their hurts, and they've never really dealt with the brokenness of their own story Mm -hmm. and their own stuff.
0: Well, I I don't want Ben to take all the blame here. I mean, you know, I said, we're laughing about him saying I had gone a little bit crazy, but I had, let's be clear, the counselor did work with me a, a lot, and I've had to work through my own struggles and my own pride issues and things like that. So... I don't I don't want the listener here to think that this was all Ben and, and I was great. It, it was a it was a both in.
2: I think it's important to that people hear what that was like for you, Ben, when you started listening to him, when you started thinking, OK, maybe maybe I'm not being authentic. Like, was it a realization for you or did you think, no, I'm being real?
1: I think it was a little humiliating because I have always prided myself on being a pretty authentic person. Mm-hmm. And I realized in those sessions that I, I can figure out how to make this sound nice when I'm just really resentful or really angry or really hurt. And these emotions have taken me hostage. Mm-hmm. And until I kind of stop and tend to my own soul, uh, I can't really move forward with God. And there were some counseling sessions that were very powerful for me, um, recognizing that I'm a broken person that has some stuff in my own heart that needs to be, the Holy, Holy Spirit's got to get in there mm-hmm. and free me from some of that stuff. And so I am thankful. I really am and truly thankful that I married a challenging wife. Mm-hmm. She, she loves to challenge me. <laughs> and I don't always like to receive the challenge, but Lindley is one of those people that she's not, she loves me too much to let me, Uh, believe lies and stay in that sense of loneliness. She's going to push on me on that.
2: Lindley, he just mentioned some key emotions that you guys were being, uh, I don't know, just talking through in counseling. Tell me a little bit
0: about just the discovery of, wait, these emotions Mm -hmm. are something we've not been processing. Right. So the counselor has a list of eight emotions that we really, you know, are God-given emotions and the healthy side of it and the impaired side of it. And so the very first counseling session. Um, I said, I'm I'm just frustrated. And he said, Well, that's Christian language for angry. You're angry and you need to process what anger means. And anger in a healthy form is passion. Mm -hmm. And so those are those activist personalities that just have passion for something, but angry in an unhealthy is rage. It's um apathy, I mean depression. And so, you know, that was a really helpful moment for me because I just kept using this term frustrated. Well I'm just frustrated. Well really I'm angry and Mm I needed to deal with that anger. And I mean, I'm not, there's no denying I have a temper. I'm of the two of us, I've had the temper all along. Although we, we did say that transitioned, you know, the year we moved here and he had more of the temper than I did. But I mean, I'm, I've got 19 years on his one, you know, so that has always been the thing.
1: Well, and I learned even with anger that, um, you can be a silently angry person.
0: The rage, that's the story.
1: And I would rage in silence and control her with my silence. Mm-hmm.
0: So he would always get mad at me and say, I will not listen to you if you're yelling. I'm not going to do this, whatever. And so then he would control it in silence. And the counselor just said, it's, it's equally bad. Mm. You know, the yelling versus the silence. Because he he would walk out or he would say, you know... I'm done with this conversation or we're going to tie a bow on this or we're going to land the plane or we're whatever. Well, I just wasn't there yet. I wasn't ready to tie a bow on something and, and we needed to talk about it. And he was like, I'm done, but he would say, you know, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm handling this more healthy than you because I'm not yelling. Mm. And so that was where we kept fighting. Cause I was like, Oh, if you want to hear yelling, I mean, I'll let you hear yelling. I mean, you know, so we would just, it would just explode.
2: So tell me how it is now. How have you guys? use this tool of counseling and and learning about these eight emotions to kind of find your way back to each other. And what kind of healthy improvements are you seeing?
1: First of all, I think we would say that the calling to Lifeway has been one of the best things that ever happened to us. Uh, That even though we still every day miss Storyline and love those people, we miss Inglewood, love those people. We know that God called us here for a purpose, not just to serve and help Lifeway, but also it was for our own good too that he called us here. So I think we've turned that corner. But the other thing too is, um, there are some moments now with Lindley where I feel like she knows me like she's never known me before. Mm-hmm. She would say things to me when we were in ministry that were true, like, Ben, it really bothers me that you can stand up in front of a thousand people and share a very personal story of something you're walking through and I have never heard it before. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that loves you the most, and why would you not share that with me before you shared it with a room full of strangers? And I realized, I've realized i realized now that um, I've always controlled the level of exposure that Lindley has to my heart because I'm afraid mm-hmm. for her to know how I'm really feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's been a bit of an obstacle in our intimacy, and we're having to now deal with that.
0: Well, I would say to him, I need, I need to have something of you that other people don't know. You know, that's why we're married. And so, you know, for a while when we first got married, he was in a phase he would tell everyone he loves them. Be like, love you, bro, you know, kind of thing. And I just said, you can't love everybody. It doesn't mean anything to me when you say I love you because he would say I love you to me. And I was like, well, okay, you say it to everybody. But, you know, I think in regards to the counseling, what you were talking about and the emotions, that first year here, all we did was blame each other. And he's really trained us in the counseling sessions to say, like, Instead of, you you make me this, you have to say, I feel blank. So, like, I feel lonely, or I feel hurt, or I feel sad. And then he has to say, what can I do in your sadness? Mm-hmm. And so, it sounds really... Basic. Uh, yes. Basic. yes. Well, and well, and also boring. Like, <laughs> that's that's silly, you know. But it really does help because I would say, well, I feel sad for you. And he would say, you can't feel sad for someone else. Like, sadness is a personal thing. And so... Why are you sad, you know? And so that's been really good for us because we had gotten into this place of not being in control of our emotions, but in control of his, I mean, the other person's. And so he would say to me too, why are you so angry? And I was like, I'm not angry. I'm hurt. You have the wrong emotion. We have to understand those first.
1: A friend of mine uh, told me a story about a seminary professor that grabbed him on that way out of class. He was newly married and just prompted by the Holy Spirit. The professor grabbed him by the arm and said, I have a word for you. And he said, marriage is fragile every day. Don't ever forget that. And it's been humbling because Lindley and I, I think, really have had a, a very strong marriage. And yet we saw our marriage unravel so quickly. It became fragile so quickly that it it's caused me to have great compassion for people out there who are struggling in their marriages. To be less judgmental, uh, particularly people in ministry, uh, It sometimes we have to care for our own selves before we can care for others. And our marriage has just required an enormous amount of care. We had to stop everything else and care for our marriage and really begin to have the conversations that were uncomfortable before we could tend to anybody else. And so I think one of the things we're learning in this season is just it's okay to do that in ministry. It's okay to say, hey, we're entering a season where we really need to mend some broken places in our own lives. And we feel like, That's happening.
2: That's awesome. I love your vulnerability as we've talked about already. And I think it's, it's key for other people just to hear what you've walked through to say, okay, if they can walk through it and they can talk about it, I can talk about it too. So um, I just appreciate you guys being able to, to open up and share. So we talked about a lot about control here and our, our kind of our relationship to control. All of us have a different relationship To control. And Lindley, has that been kind of a revelation to you when it comes to how you relate to control?
0: Sure. So I my personality type is to be in control. Mm. And when feelings come into play and maybe I feel out of control of those feelings, then I I would tend to shut down. Mm. Because if I can't control an outcome, then I almost like no I want no part of it. And so, you know, that that came from me. I think even as a child, there was some, you know, there's a story that my parents talk about. And, you know, they were having a, a really bad fight one time. And I took physically took their hands and joined them together and said, you know, oh, you can work it out. I mean, I was little. And they still talk about that story, how impactful that was to them. I didn't understand it at that moment. But I think from that moment on, I felt like, oh, I have the power to control relationships and maybe not even as much outside the walls of my home, but within Ben and I, I'm going to do it. Like whatever it takes, I'm going to do it instead of really relying on the Lord to do it. And
1: in the church, I think it happens often that, you know, a relationship spins out of control. And no matter how many times you meet, no matter how many times you pray, it just doesn't seem to mend. It's a wound that won't be mended. And uh, I think it's hard in the church when, when you feel like, I want to control this person or I want to dictate what they're going to say when we walk away from this relationship. We just can't. And I think our marriage has humbled us in that regard, that uh, we can't control one another, but we can love one another. We can't fix one another, but we can support one another. And learning to do that well has been a journey.
2: So one last question. Lindley, you mentioned just allowing God to step in. How did all of this affect your relationship with God, your spiritual health? Um, Where were you on that spectrum?
0: Um, When I look back, I was very shallow in my relationship with God at Storyline. There was no time for that. Um, I mean, between the kids and their ages and their activities and the church and its rapidly growing things, there, there just wasn't time for it. And so... I was just completely relying on myself. So when we moved here to Nashville, I, at first, was initially looking forward to it because I was tired. Like, I was really, really tired. And I thought, okay, this is going to be nice for me. It's going to be a break. Well, after a few weeks, that break was over. And I was like, I'm ready to move forward. And then I went to a really angry, I mean, angry place with God. Like, you can read my journals. And actually, you can't read them. But if you read them, they, you know, were very much. But that's my personality. I'm very honest. Like, I don't. When it talks about him being our friend, like I was really like I would tell Ben, like, I can't believe you've done this, God, you know, which may not be the right thing. I don't know if there is a right thing, but that I just was very, very transparent in my in my feelings in a journal. But now I've come through that part of grief and realized Oh, you were really saving. I mean, like you're protecting me and I have seen it. We have said a lot, you know, the scripture he gives and takes away. And I really think he had to take away storyline to call us back to himself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, it has taken a long journey to call him back to call me back to him. And I'm still learning a lot, but I it has been very eye opening how reliant on myself. I was Mm -hmm. and um I mean, we talked about earlier, self-righteous and, you know, prideful and all these things. So I'm super thankful for the journey. I mean, that's what I told him a couple months ago, even when we were still in a bad place. I said, I am so thankful for this time, even though it has been so ridiculously painful. There's
1: a song that Lindley and I have both gravitated toward over the last two years. It's by Stephen Kirsch Chapman called Till the Blue. Mm-hmm. And the lyric goes, uh, till the blue returns to your skies until the laughter returns to your eyes and it's about walking with someone through sadness and the commitment to be there until the blue returns and sometimes in life we just have cloudy skies and it's such a good and sweet thing when someone's committed to walk with you through all that and so I think one of the things we're learning is just how how much God is at work In those seasons when it's cloudy Because when the blue comes back uh, You've been through it together And you're closer for it Uh, And so I hope that's an encouragement To somebody out there who Doesn't feel like the blue has been in their skies For a very long time There are no words
3: No answers For questions like these And even the right ones Wouldn't change anything Or fix anything Even if we knew the reasons It's still gonna hurt And they say it's just gonna take time But right now there's just too much time And no way to find the secret The changing of seasons till the blue returns to your sky till the laughter returns to your eyes, I'll be here to cry with you and right here. Till the blue returns, till the blue returns to your sky So here are my hands, they're not able to put back the pieces you've lost or push back the rivers As you cross, I'm sorry they're not, but here they are, reaching out. Cloud.
1: The Glass House is a production of Lifeway Christian Resources, hosted by Ben and Lindley Mandrell, executive produced by Joy Allman, produced and edited by Angie Elkins, original music by Robert Elkins, and graphic design by Cameron Spooner. And special thanks to Stephen Curtis Chapman for allowing us to share his song, Till the Blue, with our listeners. Thanks for listening to The Glass House, where we hope to shed light on the dark places of ministry, one conversation at a time.